Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at gbcakron.org. That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Good morning again. It's good to see you. You know, we, for the last several weeks, have been going uh, through a series of sermons called How to Get Through the Tough Stuff. And it's basically... uh, you know, looking into God's Word of how do we get through the things in life that are really, really hard, uh, things that, that we didn't know would happen to us, we didn't schedule them out, we didn't put them on our calendar, but yet life unfolds in such a way that we find ourselves in a valley, we find ourselves in a major disappointment or a major failure or, or a major loss. Um, and this could come from all kinds of things. And you know... Um, if there's anything that, that all of us know uh, for sure sitting here together this morning that we can agree on, it is that life is tough, is it not? I mean, the, the longer you live, it seems like it, the harder it gets. It doesn't mean it doesn't get happier. It can get happier too, but life is still very hard. We are constantly having to deal with different kinds of struggles in life, different kinds of problems and disappointments and hurts and battles, and we just struggle with life sometimes. And uh, sometimes life just doesn't make sense. No matter how much we try to make it, figure it out, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. And in Genesis chapter 3, it kind of gives us a hint. I mean, I mean, if you just read the, the, the beginning of the book, folks, it kind of tells you up front that life is going to be a struggle. Look at what Genesis 3, verse 17 says. It was, God was talking to Adam, but we are Adam, okay? We, we are the offspring of Adam. And this is what he says, since you sinned all your life, well, you will struggle. Isn't that true? I mean, with life is a struggle. And sin is what creates that struggle. God never intended for life to be as hard as it is. But nonetheless, because of our sin, we constantly struggle. And I want us to think about three struggles briefly that we have in life. The first one is the fact that we struggle with one another. Now, those of us that have been church, been in church a long time, those of us that are familiar with the scriptures, we know that God has told us that we should love one another. But if we're going to be truthful, we really struggle with one another. We struggle and, and, and that's just part of life. Sin, one of its impact that it has had on humanity is that it has created uh, this struggle that we have with one another. And there is no relationship that we have that has not been touched by sin. Your, your family relationships, your work relationships, your friends, your neighbors, every relationship we have has been touched by sin, and therefore, it, cre- it can create a struggle in that relationship. It's funny how relationships are just fine 
until they're not, right? And then all of a sudden, you got to struggle. And, and, and all the time, you can point that struggle back to some sin, usually selfishness, usually pride, or, or something that we do in anger. And so we end up struggling with one another. But not only do we struggle with one another, if we really want to be honest, we struggle with ourselves. We struggle internally. Sometimes that is the biggest struggle. The biggest struggle we have is what's going on inside of us. It's not what's happening with the people around us as much as what it is happening inside of us. We have our fears. We have our temptations. We have our insecurities. We have our guilt and our regret, the resentment that we hang on to, the addictions that we try very hard to hide, the compulsions that sometimes drive us to do very foolish things, the weaknesses that we all have within us. These are not things that that people impose upon us, they're in us. And we struggle with ourselves. The Bible speaks to this. Paul spoke to it in Romans chapter 7. Look at what Paul said. He said, I don't really understand myself. You ever felt like that? I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. I mean, can you hear his own self-struggle that he's explaining? And we all have it if we admit it. We all have this thing that happens inside of us that we know what we want to do, but we don't end up doing it. We know what's right, but we end up doing what's wrong. This struggle within ourselves. But not only do we struggle with one another and struggle with ourselves, really the real issue is this. We struggle with God. We struggle with Him. And really this is our, our real struggle. Our real struggle is, is with God and, and who He is. And the truth of the matter is, is that we doubt Him. We may have moments where our trust is firm, our faith is secure, But when we find ourselves in the midst of a struggle, many times we can really bring that back to the fact that we're having a hard time trusting God with something, with a relationship, with something in our own life, a choice we have to make, something that's happened to us. We're struggling and doubting really Him. What happens most of the time, at least this is what's true for me, when I find myself struggling with God, it's really over control. I want to be in control. I mean, I know God loves me, right? Okay, I know this. I don't doubt it at all. But the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes I think I know what's better for me than what he thinks is better for me. And maybe I'm the only one in the room that does that. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that when I find myself struggling with God, it is because I doubt what 
he's asking me to do or how he's asking me to live or the attitude that he wants me to have or the choice that he's, he's leading me to make. I, I doubt it. I don't doubt his love. I guess I doubt his advice. I, I, you know, I mean, his commands, his, his truth. I, I doubt it. And, and, and listen, uh, when, when that begins to happen, I, I begin to struggle with him and who he is. You know, I, I've had the, the blessing of, of, of raising four boys, and, and listen, through, through the time that, 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 you know, it's not over. I, one thing I've learned of, you never stop being a parent, you know, it just, does it ever go away? I don't know, you know, but, but anyway, you know, as we, we've had the privilege of watching some of our, our, our boys grow up, they're becoming adults, they're, they're, they're becoming more and more independent, they're making their own lives and all this kind of stuff, but when they were growing up, Listen, they never doubted that I loved them. I mean, if you ask them, you pull them aside, say, hey, did you ever think your dad didn't love you? They'll tell you, oh, no, I knew he always loved me. But then ask them, did you always accept his advice? Did you always believe what he was saying? Did you always think he was right about what you were going through? And I can tell you right now, they did not. They knew I loved them, but they did not always believe that I knew what was best for them. And you know what? That's how we are with God. That's exactly how we are. We, we know that he loves us, but we're just not always sure that he really knows what's best for us. And so we struggle with him. There's a guy in the Bible that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to kind of do a deep dive into his life. His name was Jacob. And Jacob is a perfect example of someone who struggled with everyone around him. He struggled with himself. And ultimately, he struggled with God. He's a hero of our faith of the Old Testament that we can read about in Genesis. But let me kind of give you some, some background on Jacob real quick before we look at something in particular. First of all, Jacob struggled with his brother, okay? Jacob was a twin, all right? Uh, I was, I was noticing this morning, we, we have someone here this morning, I won't point them out, that they're, they're expecting, I don't think they're expecting twins, but, but they're expecting, but, but Jacob was a twin, and in the womb, in his mother's womb, he was wrestling with his brother. That's what the Bible tells us. So even before this little thing was born, he was already struggling with his brother. He came out fighting his family, and the struggles didn't stop. He not only struggled with his brother, because ultimately he grew and he deceived his brother, he stole from his brother, stole the family inheritance from him, but Jacob also struggled with his wives, and you heard that right, wives. Maybe that was part of the problem. He didn't have just one. He had more than one. But, but here's, here's the thing, okay? Uh, sometimes when we talk about people in the Old Testament, people will say, oh, you know, uh, polygamy must be okay because it's in the Bible. Well, so is rape and murder. It's in the Bible too, okay? What, the reason that God doesn't hide these sins from us is because he wants us to understand just how painful they are in life. And, and so Jacob had more than, than one wife. And, and unfortunately, he really didn't have a great relationship with any of them. But that's probably another sermon for another time. But he struggled with them. 
He also struggled with his in-laws. Imagine that. <laughs> he struggled with them. He, he manipulated them. He deceived them. They tried to do the same to him. They, in fact, they did. They did manipulate him and deceive him at different times. They gave back to him a lot of what he gave to them. And he struggled with everyone. He had 12 sons. Guess what? He struggled with all of them too. He had a very dysfunctional family. And he just seemed to struggle with everyone around him. Hosea chapter 12 verse 3 says this of Jacob. In the womb he grasped his brother's heel. As a man he struggled with God. And he did. In fact, he went all WWF with God. Or AEW if you're one of those fans. He physically wrestled with God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in our time together. We're going to look at this passage of Scripture that, it, that explains what happened to Jacob and how he, he wrestled with everyone around him. He struggled with the people in his life. He struggled with himself and ultimately struggled with God. And when we find ourselves in a valley, many times this is what's going on. We are struggling with the people around us. We are struggling with ourselves. But we're also struggling with God. How can we struggle with God and come out a winner? In life, we enter all kinds of problems and we enter all kinds of struggles. And sometimes we win our struggles. Sometimes we learn from our struggles. But with God, can I tell you that we can both win and learn. That's what Jacob did. And that's what we're going to look at together this morning. So Jacob, to, to kind of tell you what's going on before we read this passage, Jacob had cheated his twin brother out of the family inheritance. After he did this, he moved away because Esau, his brother, said, you know what, I'm going to kill you for what you've done. So Jacob fled. And he, he fled to another place. He fled to another territory. And he lived in that territory a couple of decades. While he was there, he, that's where he married his wives. He started his family. He started his business. He became very wealthy, a very wealthy person with a very large family. And he decided one night, primarily because God came and told him, Jacob, you need to go back to where you came from. You need to go home, in essence. You need to go home. And Jacob had faith in God. He believed God, and so he decided he would do this. But he was terrified of going home because going home meant that he was going to have to face his past, he was going to have to face the way that he treated his brother and the rest of his family. He was going to have to deal with the mistakes and the, and the things that he had done. And honestly, he's still afraid of Esau. Esau swore to kill Jacob. So going home meant I've got to deal with my brother's wrath and his anger and his threats towards me. So we pick up the story there. In Genesis 32, Jacob has gathered all of his estate together. He's gathered his family, 
uh, all of his property, all of his animals, all of these things. And, and so you get it. When you and I move, listen, I've had the, I've had the privilege or, or the struggle of moving across the United States twice. And let me tell you how we did it. I called someone. And, and they came and put all of my stuff in a truck and moved it for me. All right, so when Jacob moved from one place to another, it was a caravan. Okay, it was not something that could be done in, in hiding. Anyone who had eyes could see Jacob was on the move. And word got back to Esau that Jacob was coming home. All right, and so this is where we pick up the story Jacob is on his way back home. He knows that Esau has found out that he's moving. In fact, Jacob, it has been reported to Jacob that Esau is on his way to greet Jacob with 400 soldiers. That doesn't sound like a happy greeting. All right? So Jacob is now afraid. He is scared. And this is what he does. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. All right, so what is Jacob doing? He hears his brothers coming with 400 soldiers. Jacob decides, you know what? I'm going to take my family and send them in one direction. I'm going to take my wealth and all my possessions and send it in another, in another direction. And maybe Esau will catch one of them and spare the other. I'm not saying he did the right thing. I'm just saying that's what he did. And now he's by himself. Okay? He's, he's all alone. No one else is around him. And the Bible says... And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Now, let's stop right there for just a moment. If you were Jacob and you knew your brother who had swore to kill you was coming after you with 400 soldiers and you were all alone by yourself because you've sent everyone away and a man showed up and started fighting with you, who do you think it is? He thinks it's Esau. All right? And so now he's in a struggle for what he thinks is his life. He is fighting his brother who has sworn to kill him. At least, that's what he thinks. The Bible goes on to tell us that when the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, obviously, something has happened in this struggle that is not recorded for you and I to know about in Scripture. But somewhere in the midst of this fight, Jacob realizes he is not fighting his brother. He realizes he's fighting God. He's struggling with God. Now, wrestling, I, I never wrestled in high school. I should have let Stephen come up at this point. Stephen was quite the wrestler at one time in his life. And, 
What I do know about wrestling is that it's not so much a team sport. It is an individual activity. And when you wrestle the opponent, it's all about power and control. Who can subdue the other person? And it is a very intimate sport. In other words, they are in your grill and you are in theirs. You are in your personal space and you are in hand-to-hand struggles. And that's what Jacob is doing when he realizes that he is in hand-to-hand struggle with God. And somewhere in this struggle, he realizes, I'm fighting God. I'm fighting him. And what's going on in my life, I'm trying to gain control over God. The Bible goes on to say, as they were fighting, the man, you know, the man says, I, I, you know, you got to let me go. I think it's all kind of very interesting that, that now Jacob's not fighting to subdue him. Jacob, Jacob is fighting to hang on to him when he realizes who he's fighting. And the man says, look, i got to go. Daybreak's coming. And, and Jacob says, no, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go. Not until you, not until you, you bless me. Look at what he says. He says, what is your name? This is what the man asked Jacob. He said, what is your name? And he replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. I'm not aware of anywhere else in the Bible that God says to a man, you fought with me and you've won. I think there's something for us to learn here. Jacob says, please tell me your name. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And what I find interesting in this is that Jacob, he discovers he's wrestling God, and, 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 and God asks Jacob, what is your name? What, what is your name? God always knows who we are. God knew who Jacob was. God's trying to get Jacob to admit who he is. The name Jacob means deceiver. It means manipulator. God is saying, look, Jacob, I know who you are. Do you know who you are? So tell me your name. Who are you? The question is for Jacob to realize that he's the problem. Listen, if, can I tell you something? If you're struggling with other people, you're struggling with yourself, and you're struggling with God, there is one common denominator. And, and that's what's going on in this wrestling match between God and Jacob. God is saying to Jacob, do you know who you are? Because let me tell you something, who you are is what the problem is. And you're wrestling with me. The reason we wrestle with God is because we're trying to gain control. And God is saying to Jacob, you, you're constantly trying to control everything in your life and you're making it a mess. And many times we do the same thing, especially in a valley. We start trying to control everything, to regain control because something has happened in life that has reminded us that we really have no control. And God says, if we're not careful, we're going to make that a mess. When he asked Jacob his name, he was saying, tell me your character. Tell me your greatest sin, Jacob. 
What if we walked around and our name was our greatest sin? Hello, my name is Lust. Well, how are you doing? I'm greed. What if that was our identifier? What if that, that's what Jacob was? He, he was a deceiver. He was a manipulator. His name wasn't just a name. It was his character. And what if our names revealed our character? What would our names really be? Jacob, as he's wrestling with God, and he admits who he is, he says, listen, I am Jacob. I am a deceiver. I am a manipulator. I have made a mess of my life. I am a sinner. Then Jacob says, he, he won't let go of God. He won't let go of who he's wrestling with. And he says, I will not let go until you bless me. Now, what does that mean for, for us in our very um, uh, affluent lives where blessings is many times attached to money and success and, and name and reputation? What Jacob is asking for when he says, I will not let go of you until you bless me. Bless me before you leave. What Jacob says is make me a better person. Don't leave me the same. That's what he means by bless me. When's the last time when you're wrestling with God or struggling with something going on in your life that you've gone to God and, and listen, we all go to God and say, change the circumstances. Jacob could have easily said, listen, would you change my brother's heart before you leave? Would, would you change Esau's mind? Would you take away his hate? Would you make him a better person, Lord? But that's not what he said. He said, would you bless me? Would you change me? Would you make me a better person? Don't leave me like you found me. When's the last time we've prayed like that? That's what Jacob was asking for when he said, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Bless me first. Change me. Don't leave me like you found me. Listen, God could have easily beaten Jacob. You know that, right? I mean, tied him up a knot and left him there laying on the ground. He could have easily done that. Why didn't God do that? Here's the secret, folks. God wants to wrestle with us. He wants to. Because he wants to change us. Not change our habits. Listen to me carefully. You're probably sitting here thinking, man, gosh, I sure wish I could change a habit. God could care less about your habits. He wants to change your character. And here's the thing. When he changes our character, it does change our habits. But it, it changes because he changes us. Changes our identity, who we are. God turned to Jacob and he said, you know what? Your name is no longer Jacob. Because, because you have wrestled with God and you understand who you are and you've confessed it to me and because you've asked me to change you, I will. Your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is now Israel. And that word, that, that word Israel, it means one who struggles with God. 
It also means prince with God. But in this story, I think what, what God is, is communicating to, to Jacob and to me and to you this morning is, is that, you know what, it's okay to struggle with God. It's in those struggles that he changes who we are. He changes our identity. He changes our character. And we walk away different. We're not the same person anymore because he blessed us by changing us. The Bible says that Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Folks, I want to tell you something. The people who many times walk most closely with God walk with a limp. They don't walk with their chest thrown out saying, oh, look at what I've accomplished, look what I've done, look how God has made me so wonderful in the eyes of men. No, those aren't the people who walk closest to God. They limp along. They limp along. And if you look at yourself and you say, man, I'm just limping. When it comes to walking with God, I'm just limping. Let me tell you something, you're in good company. You're in good company. It's the people who can't admit that that are in trouble. What I want us to think about this morning is how can we wrestle with God and win? This is how I I want us to close out our time together because when we find ourselves in a valley, we many times are wrestling with God. He has let something into our life that we do not agree with and we want to take control back. And we're not really struggling with any other one else. We're not really struggling with ourselves as much as we are struggling with God. Last week, we talked about what it meant to lament. What it, this idea of, of, of going to God with our problems, with our struggles, with our disappointments, and literally complaining to God. Instead of complaining to other people, instead of trying to uh, erase what we're feeling with, with some kind of, of a Netflix binge or, or a painkiller or alcohol or another, or, or another bad relationship, that, that we go to God and we say, okay, God, this is happening in my life and I don't like it. And we begin to lament to God, complain to God about what is happening creating pain in our life. Part of this sermon series is, comes from another sermon series that, that Rick Warren did 10 years ago. Rick Warren's son committed suicide. And after that, uh, he took a break and then he came back and, and he did a deep dive on grief and, and what it meant to lament. And so what I'm about to share with you is something that Rick Warren really put out. And, it's, and it's, it's great. It's helped me so much, and I, and I believe it can help all of us, of what it means to lament. And he created an acronym uh, called CARE, C-A-R-E, CARE. And each letter stands for how you and I can go to God and wrestle with him and win. The first thing that you and I need to do when wrestling with God is that we need to complain. We need to tell God what is unfair or painful in our life. 
And we have to know the difference between complaining to God and complaining about God. Listen, if, if you and I go to God and we complain to him about what's going on in our life, that this valley that we're in, this struggle, this loss that we're enduring, if we're complaining to him about it, that is an act of worship. However, if we go to God and we complain about him, that turns into an act of rebellion. And so we have to know the difference between complaining to God and complaining about God, but we find this all through the scriptures, people who complain to God. I want to give you some examples just so that you and I can understand what it means and how real and raw we can be with our emotions when it comes to to complaining to God. In Job chapter 1, Job, listen, if you're, if you're not familiar with the story of Job, Job lost his family, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost everything but his marriage relationship. And instead of losing that, they were fighting. Okay? He lost it all in a matter of days. Job, the Bible tells us in verse 13, I'm sorry, beginning in verse 20, it says, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be, and I, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. In other words, Job never complained about God. He just complained to God. And so that's how you and I know that this is possible. We can do this. In, in, in Psalms 88, this is written uh, by a guy named Heman. Listen to his lament. Listen to his complaint to God. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. Pay attention to me for my, to, to my cry for help. I have so many troubles, I'm about to die. I'm like someone who doesn't have any strength. It seems as if you have put me deep down in the grave, that deep and dark place. Your burning anger lies heavy on me. All the waves of your anger have crashed over me. You have taken my closest friends away from me. I feel trapped. I can't escape. I'm crying so much I can't see very well. Lord, I call out to you every day. I lift up my hands to you in prayer. Lord, I cry out to you for help. In the morning, I pray to you. Lord, why do you say no to me? Why do you turn your face away from me? I've been in pain ever since I was young. I've been close to death. You have made me suffer terrible things. I have lost all hope. Your burning anger has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me all day long. They surround me like a flood. They have closed in all around me. You have taken my companions and loved ones away from me. The darkness is my closest friend. And you thought you were having a bad day. Listen, that's a lament. That is someone saying, God, I don't know what's going on. And here's my complaints. Jeremiah did it in verse 12. We might be able to, to understand uh, Jeremiah 12, verse 1. He says, Lord, you always give me justice when I bring a case before you. So let me bring this complaint. He just flat out says it. I'm getting ready to complain. 
Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? You have planted them and they have taken root and prospered. Your name is on their lips, but you are far from their hearts. But as for me, Lord, you know my heart. You see me and test my thoughts. Drag these people away like sheep to be butchered. Set them aside to be slaughtered. How long must this land mourn? Even the grass in the fields has withered. The wild animals and birds have disappeared because of all the evil in the land. For these people have said, the Lord doesn't see what's ahead for us. Listen, the tone of a lament can be different than regular worship. You can be angry. You can be frustrated. You can be disappointed, fatigued, confused. All of that is okay in a lament. This is the first step to wrestling with God and winning, learning how to complain to him and not complain about him. The second letter is A. It stands for appeal. And that is remember God's character while complaining. So I want to show you something in the scriptures, okay? When lamenting takes place in the Bible, those who are doing it, those who are lamenting, many times in the midst of their complaining, at the same time, they say things like, about God like this. They'll say something like, God is loving or God is kind. Even in Jeremiah that we just read, he started off by saying, God, I know you're just. Okay? So in the midst of their complaining, they are also appealing to God's character of who God is. So let me give you some, uh, some more example, uh, an example out of Psalms 143. Look at this prayer, this complaint, this lament. The psalmist wrote, hear my prayer, O Lord, listen to my plea, answer me because you are faithful and righteous. See how he's appealing to the character of God? Then he goes on to say, I am losing all hope. I am paralyzed with fear. I remember the days of old. I ponder all your great works and think about what you have done. So again, he's appealing to the character of God. Goes on to say, come quickly, Lord, and answer me, for my depression deepens. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. I run to you to hide me. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit, again, appealing to the nature of God, the character of God, lead me forward on my firm footing because of your faithfulness. Bring me out of this distress in your unfailing love. Silence all my enemies and destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. Did you hear it? He's complaining to God, but at the same time, he's appealing to God's character. God, I don't understand why this is happening to me, but I know you're good, and I know your unfailing love never ends. God, I wished you would change something, but God, I know you're in control. I remember all the things you've done in the past. When you and I are complaining to God, we, we, we complain, but at the same time, we appeal to who he is and his character and his nature. The third thing that we have to do is remind God what he said. Remind God what he said. So we, we looked at Jacob, and, and, and so uh, Jacob did this in his story. Before Jacob made his journey back home to Esau, he prayed this prayer. Look at this prayer in Genesis 32. Then Jacob prayed, O Lord, you 
told me. You, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives. And you promised me, I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. Oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promised me. I will surely treat you kindly and will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. Too many to count. Folks, you and I must know enough of God's word to tell God the promises that he's made to us. And to remind him. Listen, we're not reminding him because he's forgotten. It is a call upon us to say, you know what? I know God said this to me, and I will trust this. I will trust in the promises. He said this to me. So when we find ourselves in a valley and you find yourself struggling with God, by all means, complain to him. By all means, appeal to his character. But tell him what you know that he said to you. One, one of my personal favorite ones is Hebrews 10.36. Hebrews 10.36 basically says uh, you need perseverance so that after you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise of God. And I can't tell you how many times when I find myself in a struggle that this is, okay, God, you said, you said, God, if I persevere, that I will do your will and I will receive the promise. You said it, Lord, not me. And you remind him. And listen, the Bible is full of those kinds of promises, things like that. There's Romans 8, 28. There's Isaiah 40, 31. There's Philippians 2, 13. There's Jeremiah 29, 11. And on and on and on we could go of God making promises to you and I that if we will follow him, if we will live for him, if we will give him our very best, that even in a valley, he will respond and fulfill his promises to us. But we have to know those promises. And the last thing that you and I must do when we are lamenting, we, we complain to God, we appeal to his character, we, we recall the promises, but last, we express total trust in God. That no matter what, no matter what, we will trust him. Job 13, 15 says, God might kill me, but I have no other hope. Wow. That's someone who's expressing their total trust. Habakkuk said it this way, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. That's people saying, God, no matter what, I may not get what I want. I may not ever understand why this has happened. But no matter what, I trust you completely. I will not stop trusting